Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. Since the pandemic started spreading around the world and countries such as the UK went into lockdown, most advisors have been working from home. This means reliance on video conferencing, e-signatures, client portals, and digital documentation. But how much of this change will be permanent? And what are the pitfalls? And how can advisors make sure they're not running a Model T Ford in a Tesla world? With me to discuss this are Daniel Harrison, Chief Executive of True Potential, and Russell Andrews, Head of Solutions at SEI. Hello, both. Hi, Damien. Hi, How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. On the assumption that many advisors are now using video calls, e-signatures, all of the things that I've just mentioned, how much of this do you feel will be a permanent shift in the way they operate? Uh, Daniel, what do you think? I think, uh, almost rewind slightly on that, Damien, and think how much of this as an advisor feels like a stick and plaster right now. Um, do you feel as an advisor, I'll use a good Geordie word here, are you bodging the solution right now? Do you, do you almost feel like you're making it up as you're going along or are you working in a way now which you think this is how i'd actually like to work for the next 12 months 24 months 36 months um because i think if you frame that that type of thinking is this how i want to work or is this a budge i think that then starts to say is this going to be a permanent shift or not and also what do you think? yeah i mean I, I think daniel makes a good point but equally i think that you know a lot of the the functions that we're seeing people use now are likely to become more permanent fixtures. I think people have have seen the benefits of of how they can use more digital in their proposition successfully. Um, I guess how far can it, it can go? I mean, I think it can probably go quite a lot further than what we've seen more recently. But you know, it's going to be a few a few different things that are going to influence that. Uh, you know, over the coming you know months and years and. You know, I look at the regulator and think we can't ignore the FCA and the role they're going to play. You know, they're going to have a big, a big impact on how far this can go. You know, I think advice businesses themselves, their strategy, their ambition um, is going to play a really important role also. But but probably most important of, of all the factors is, is really the end consumer. You know, we can never ignore what the end consumer wants, how far they want to push the industry. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big, a big driving force, not only on how far it can go, but in which direction it, it will end up going. Yeah, uh, just to follow on from that, Russell, I completely agree. And uh, one of the ways we build strategies, we, we start with the end client and then we move backwards. Um, whereas I think in our industry, we, we, we tend to be quite guilty of starting with what the advisor firm wants or what the network wants. And we kind of build everything there or what the product provider wants. Then we think, right, how can we get that to the advisors then? How can we get that to the clients? Um, so I think you're absolutely right. I think we should be thinking right now about what does the client want? How, how do they want to engage with us as advisors? But also um, not just how they want to engage, but what they're asking for as well, which I think is pretty important. And I know from speaking with advisors myself, they've actually been more surprised than the consumers um, that they've, they've went into this environment kind of, I think they've hit the stride quite nicely now, advisors. And I think the advisory community probably don't give themselves enough credit at times um, in terms of how resilient they are as, a, as, as an animal. Um, you know, if I, was, if I was being unkind, which I'm not, because I am an advisor as well, I'd say we're almost like cockroaches. would be terrible, like, you know, very hard to kill. Um, but that's obviously not always the best analogy. But you look at kind of 
events just over the last six, seven, eight years. You, you know, we've had RDR, you know, we've had former reviews, et cetera, uh, Mythid. All of these events are going to be the biggest thing that finishes advisors off. And lo and behold, here we are in lockdown. Is that going to be the end of advice? Um, no. And actually, I think, you know, going back to what I was just mentioning at the beginning, um, the consumers, I think, are happy to be serviced and looked after in a remote fashion. I think um, the days of having to go and see a client and spend half an hour or an hour or two hours with them, um, just giving them a service review. Um, I think it's, it's long gone now. Cl clients probably don't want that. They don't, you know, if we look at what an annual suitability review involves now, um, yes, you're having to kind of check the client's circumstances haven't changed and you're having to check that the the product is still suitable for the client, but you can do that remotely. You can do that over a video call quickly. You can probably even do that using client portals and things. You don't need to go and see clients. And what I hope for the advisory community is that they found the last three months or so quite enlightening with that, because if you go back to last year, a common complaint, probably one you pick up a lot on Damien, was advisors were finding themselves spending more time being administrators almost, going around just doing annual suitability reviews all the time for clients and doing that in a face-to-face -face fashion. So spending more time in the car, driving around doing that. Versus the last three months, they haven't been able to do that. So I, I hazard a guess that they've went through a lot more work, tidy work remotely and now by simply asking the client, is it okay if I do it this way? And um, Russell, uh, Daniel mentioned earlier that uh, many advisors might be sort of bodging um, just desperately trying to get something up and running in, in, uh, now that we're under lockdown. Do you, do you get the impression that that's happening from, your, from what you've heard? Um, yeah, to some extent, but I think, you know, I think to, to echo what Daniel said as well, you know, the, the industry has shown great resilience in the last few months, you know, to ad adapt to a, a more virtual world in, in such short order has been, it's really, you know, it's great testament to the, the, the advisors and the support teams, but, I think they've been um, also fortunate in some respects that clients themselves seem to have evolved. And I think it, had we been a, through a scenario like we've been in the last three or four months, you know, some years ago, I think we'd have found advisors struggling much, much more. But clients and, and through the good work advisors have been doing have, have probably been a little bit more relaxed in what would ordinarily be a pretty panicking time. So I think the the adoption has been good. I think there has been certain scenarios where people have learned as they've gone. But, you know, I think the advice industry as a whole has, has really performed well. And I think maybe Daniel's doing a little disservice in in the, the notion of a, a sort of doing a bodge job. I think, you know, that those things sometimes happen behind the scenes. But I think many, many clients will tell you and, and a lot of the clients we talk to have you know, their end clients have been very, very satisfied, if not very pleased with how you know, their advisors have adopted, you know, new ways of working to accommodate, you know, lockdown and, and social distancing. I guess the, 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 the cliche of, a, of an advised client is that they're generally a little bit older. Um, I'm going to be very rude to people who are a little bit older now, but they're, they're not people that we associate uh, as being the most technologically savvy people out there. Um, is that something that you feel presents particular challenges, Daniel? I I think I think it's quite the opposite, Damien. I, I think we, as an industry, we believe that because that's what advisors tell us. Um, so I'll, I'll go back to 2007 when we first set True Potential up, for instance, and we were cloud-based. 
and the furore about cloud-based systems was huge from advisors. Well, we don't want to connect to the internet all the time. What do you mean? Um, why can't I just access my, my kit from the desktop? Um, you fast forward now 13, nearly 14 years, and it would seem bizarre to install a piece of kit on your desktop and run it from there. Everything we do, even now, now you know, we're, we're on a Google Meet here. Um, you know, it's all fully cloud-based. Um, and then fa fast forward a few years later, when, when we looked at, say, bringing out mobile apps and client portals, um, we were told by advisors, clients don't want that. Clients can't access the internet. Um, clients don't want to access the internet. They want personal face-to-face -face service. Um, but all of the stats we looked at behind the scenes, and I suppose it would be the same with Russell, um, completely co contradicted that. In fact, if you give clients access to it, um, if you give clients the technology and the means, they consume it. And in some ways, they consume it greater than uh, advisors out there. And the, 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 the contra-argument I always used with an advisor, and I always say to them, when they say, well, my client doesn't want to log in and look at the valuations on, on the site because they can't, I just say to an advisor, does your client log into their online banking on the mobile app? And the advisor would normally say yes. Um, I'd say, well, why should it be any different for how they interact with you as an advisor? So I think it's, it, it's a funny one, David. I think if, if, if I look at the average profile of a, of a client with true potential, they're about 56 years old. Um, our average advisor is about 58, nearly 59 as well. So our average clients are slightly younger. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't want to get into demographics because I'm not a, a, a student of that. But I think a 56-year-old now is as good with technology um, as a 65-year-old is now, as a 45 or 35-year-old is now. I think it's such a broad range. I think long gone are the days where, too many people are uncomfortable with technology. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I, I also think there's a lot of, um, you know, can, can be said around what is offered to clients. You know, when clients have the, the availability of something that they've been doing for a long time, they're likely to just continue doing those things. You know, what, what you know, certainly lockdown has, has forced clients to do is to think differently and, and access, you know, their advisors or information differently. You know, and I, I sort of was a little bit on the fence for, for some time. But when I go back, I think back three months and my mother-in-law was telling me I can't drop her shopping off at a certain time because she was too busy on a Zoom call. It sort of made me, it made me realize suddenly that, you know, when, when push comes to shove, people will adapt. And I think people have adapted. I think they'll continue to adapt. And yeah, I think it's now important that the industry recognizes that. I think I think what it's done in some respects is it's it's created a new baseline, right? It's set a new floor for what is you know available and what clients are now going to expect in terms of flexibility. You know, people want options. If they've got a really complex situation, they may still want to sit down in a room and, and go through it in detail and get the comfort, you know, through that type of physical interaction. But if it's a more simply simplified piece of advice or if it's something more administrative, you know, people don't want the hassle of having to, you know, invite an advisor into their home or even travel to an office. If they can self-serve, if they can do it through technology, they can do it through virtual uh, interaction, then I think they will almost always choose that route. And, and now it's going to be expected because they've been doing it for three months. They're likely to do it for at least another three months um, and potentially forever, you know, forever on, onwards from here. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a good point, Russell, about we've almost set a new baseline 
again here and, and, and set some new expectations. And when I, when I was planning uh, for, for today's discussion, I, was, I, was just, I just jotted down on a piece of paper, do advisors feel like they've improved or innovated since lockdown or they just survived? And I think that's where I was getting at with some of the, the bodge or the sticking plaster thing. I think there'll be some real winners have came out of this in terms of advisors, those who either were already ready and kind of just hit the ground running or very quickly improved or innovated. Um, I also know some advisors who have went in hiding as well, you know, um, and really, you know, they, they, they've certainly just survived, I, I, I would say. So it's going to be interesting. I also think the, the other thing which could be interesting is, is what you were talking about with face-to-face -face meetings. Um, maybe it could be that the, the new normal or new normal or whatever it would, it's called this week could be um, maybe you meet a brand new client face-to-face. -face. You start to build that empathy, you know, with body language, you kind of look at one another and, and, and sit across the desk and almost stare your advisor in the white of the eyes. But once you get to know that advisor, maybe then the new normality becomes you just have the, you know, a call a bit like this, maybe every three months, six months or 12 months or, or what have you. Um, that's going to be an interesting one because obviously we're three months into lockdown, not even six months, not even 12 months yet. So in terms of new clients being met, will that turn back to face-to-face -to -face, or do we think we'll see some you know, more interactions like this for brand new relationships? And, and advisors are often rely on third parties to provide many aspects of their technology. Um, they may well have resorted to third parties to fix issues that they had during lockdown. You two are both third party providers of tech. What, um, is there any pressure on resilience? Um, what can advisors do to make sure that the companies they use are resilient? Uh, Russell, what do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, this really comes down to due diligence, you know, upfront due diligence, ongoing due diligence. Um, but I think the, the key for advisors is due diligence is quite a specialist subject. So, you know, my recommendation would always be to, to get expert help. You know, when I think about SEI, we, you know, as you mentioned, we're a technology provider. We provide technology to, to many of our clients, but equally we, you know, access other technology solutions that then augment our own proposition. You know, and when we go through that process, we have a, a dedicated team of um, due diligence experts who, you know, ask thousands of questions, you know, request rafts of different control documentation, which can run into the, the hundreds, if not thousands of pages now. To expect a typical advisory firm and, and a firm of you know true potential size will, will undoubtedly be different, but your typical advisor is simply going to struggle to, to, to assess you know real technical areas like cybersecurity and business continuity and capacity management and, and change management, you know, it to an extent that they can get truly comfortable with how resilient you know, a, a technology supplier is not just in the normal circumstances, but in circumstances like like what we've seen in, in recent months. I completely agree with all that, Russell. That I think there's a level of detail which has to be done in terms of due diligence. Uh, and we're big advocates of the due diligence approach. Uh, but I think to simplify it even, you know, for, for now and for, for the smaller advisor practices listening today, I would just ask yourself, how have your third party providers performed in the last three months? You know, have they been able to answer the phone? Could they do that the day after lockdown began? Have they answered emails in a timely fashion? Um, have they uh, messed anything up? How have they handled new business? Have they furloughed any staff? 
as well. I think that these are very easy to do resilience tests right now. If any of your third party providers have been lacking in any of those points over the last three months, I would say they're not resilient. It's not built into their DNA. I think resilience comes, you don't design to be resilient. You have a, you know, it's, I think it's in your nature as a firm. I think if you, if all of a sudden you say, I want to be resilient, I think you, you can be defensive. Um, if, I don't know if either of yourselves have ever studied the, the, the theory of anti-fragility or you know, anti-fragile firms, um, which, is, which is an approach we very much believe in. Uh, being anti-fragile means you, you adapt in a positive fashion from a bad event. You don't just become resilient and kind of, you know, so, um, you know, how are your third party providers doing? I think that can fail the due diligence test straight away if you as advisors have been let down over the last three months. I mean, the only thing I'd add to that as well, I think, you know, you make a good point, is is how important it is to stay close with your providers, you know, to build a relationship which is more akin to a partnership than, than just, you know, purely a vendor-client relationship. Because, you know, when you get close to, to people and, and to firms, you do start to understand those things, the, the things that, that, that Daniel was referencing, you know, you, you start to get under the skin of the organization, you build a picture of their personality as a, as a business. And you can probably start to, to tell some of the warning signs as well through that regular, you know, close interaction. So, you, you know, do your due diligence, um, but really stay close to, to the firm so that you can, you can understand, you know, their DNA as opposed to just what they offer as a solution. And uh, just a final part from, from, from me on, on the third party, is also consider how many third party relationships you need to have, as, as, especially if you're a small practice. You know, so as Russell was saying, the, the raft of detail you have to get into, if you have four, five, six, you know, kind of key third party interactions, you're gonna be swamped just in terms of due diligence and in terms of preparation for that. Um, so wherever possible, I think you should always look for integration as, as a, as a uh, financial advice firm. Um, integration obviously makes life easier for yourself as well. It can, it can ease the administrative burden. But it also, I think, the more you're integrated, the more then you get to know your supplier and do exactly what Russell's saying there. You get to know the people. You get to know the DNA. You, you get to have that, you know, it's a horrible thing to say, but you get the feeling, is this the right partner for me or not? Mm-hmm. And are there any particular regulatory obligations um, that advisors have to keep in mind when considering this? I mean, advisors will be very familiar with cho- uh, the regulatory obligations of choosing one model portfolio for their clients over another. But uh, what about one um, you know, back office provider, for example? Um, uh, Russell? Sure. Um, I guess first and foremost, you know, financial advisors have regulatory obligations because they are financial advisors. They're providing advice to to retail customers, and I mean that doesn't change. You know, if they're using technology or if they're not using technology, but and there aren't any, I'd say, explicit requirements. But what there are are there's definitely the the need to ensure that where technology is being used to you know fulfil certain parts of of the advice process that 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 doesn't inadvertently create some regulatory holes. Uh, a good example would be GDPR. You know, something we're all familiar with. Something that, as an industry, we've we've had to work very hard to to to, to tackle. But you know, through using technology, suddenly you might be collecting, storing, and using client personal information in a very different way to how you were before. So it's important to make sure that you're assessing the technology and 
crucially understanding the safeguards that are in place through that technology to ensure that you know you're meeting the regulatory obligations that have, have, have essentially always been there you know i think conversely the, the 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 positive angle as it relates to you know regulatory regulatory obligations is how technology can really help you know meet the needs of of the regulator and and it, in fact exceed what they request of of advisory businesses you know one one good example is is consistency of advice you know this is an area that the fca has been been keen to to kind of really scrutinize over recent years and you know, trying to ensure that you know two or more clients of a single firm or even a single advisor don't end up with very different looking recommendations based upon you know very similar looking circumstances so you know and that's not to say that's not a possible outcome clearly but what technology can give you is it can give you the ability to ensure that the advisor is following a consistent process you know a consistent advice model and then where a different recommendation may be arrived at there's an audit trail baked into the technology that enables you to to go back and and assess the suitability and ensure that that there's been no sort of break of process so th- these are things that you know along with you know super encryptions around how you, you know advisors can communicate with their clients that you know could actually go quite a long way to helping advisors and clients operate in a, in a far more robust or regulatory environment yeah agreed with, with everything russell's saying and i mean, just to follow up from one of his points there what i love about technology and this again is why i talk about look for one integrated solution one set of client data if possible um is because everything's audited so the the, the systems don't lie um so if you look again, and this, this apologies, it's not meant to be a plug for true potential, Damien. It's, it's just the way we do. Every single interaction the advisor has or the client has with their data and their records is audited. Um, that comes from an advisor updating the fact find, updating a particular field, for instance, through to the client going on their portal and sending a message and interacting in that way. Now, what that point is with that, what's great about that is if the regulator ever says, can you just list over the last 12 months, if we bear in mind, obviously we're in this method, annual suitability environment these days, where we're having to provide uh, evidence of value uh, for ongoing fees. Um, if an advisor now says, if, if the FCA says, could you just give me a record of all of your interactions with Mr. Smith over the last 12 months? Um, if you use one system, you can just pull that entire audit trail there and say, I've talked to Mr. Smith, 20 times but he's also helped himself on my website 10 times you can see here where i updated his fact find you can see where he updated his fact find as well so i think in terms of regulation i think technology can really help drive what would traditionally be you know if we look what normally what advice would be doing is pretty making pipeline notes somewhere you know spoke to mr smith on the phone tap 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 you know I went to see Mr. Smith and write up my notes from from the meeting. If you get an integrated solution, the audit trail will do the work for you. Um, Apart from that, I think the the, the other things which which we have to bear in mind, I think Russell's absolutely right, thinks that GDPR isn't new now. You know, we're all well used to it. Um, But I think you have to be very conscious of it. I think you've also got to be conscious of how you interact with your clients now and do you record that? You know, so if we look at uh, voice calls um, or video calls like this, uh, are you looking to record them and keep that for posterity? You're going to load that in your back office system, for instance. Um, that involves having to get the client's permission. You've obviously got to tell them up front uh, why you're doing it. Then you look at things such as e-signatures. Um, 
you know, are you going to take a client request um, electronically? How are you going to deal with that? We, I mean, there was a, a, a paper in an FT advisor, Damien, about a month ago where they were talking about different platform providers and how they'd all coped. And some are now accepting wet e-signatures, e some have had to innovate to do so, whereas others in the past have, have done them anyway. So it's, it's, again, how do you square that off? How do you get the client to actually validate it um, on, online? Mm -hmm. And um, finally, a lot of focus has been on um, sort of converting normal processes on into sort of electronic processes, e-signatures, video conferencing, etc. Um, once that's sort of sorted, how how much sort of further do you, do you both predict that this can go? What's going to is there anything that advisors should think about in terms of going beyond just that sort of mm turning a normal sort of process into a into an electronic one um russell what do you think yeah i mean this it's a, it's a great question and and for me it feels like whilst you know the circumstances of the last few months have forced a certain um adoption of technology it feels like a great time to use that as a springboard to start changing the mindset and, and looking less reactively and starting to look look at things more proactively and i think this conversation has been a really interesting one, and I, I, I sort of uh, managed to catch the Q and A you did uh, a short while ago on, on a similar topic. And it still feels like like we still maybe talk about technology, you know, maybe too much as a utility, right? As a, in a utilitarian type of context, and I think that's that's really important. And and you know, being faster and being able to to do business at a lower cost is is going to continue to be really, really important, especially as we want to try and, you know, supply advice to, to more people. But I think where the real opportunity exists is how we can start to think about technology in a more strategic way. You know, I think we'd all agree that, that technology as a utility is, is important, but it's probably not a game changer. You know, I think if we can start to look at some of the more impactful components around how, you know, the future of advice can be you know, influenced by technology around client engagement, around um, hyper-personalization, around the, even the sophistication of the advice model and how we can use technology and, and crucially data to inform all of those things, you know, and maybe change the direction of, of how, you know, advice, you know, is actually delivered and create a much deeper engagement between clients and their wealth. Yeah, this feels like it's a direction that that, that is going to be really relevant. And it makes me think about, professional sport right you know if we look 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 at professional sport 20 years ago compared to where it is today every professional football club uh, whichever level has got access to sports scientists nutritionists um, psychologists all using advanced technology to continue to drive the sport you know forward and, and sort of break new new limits and i think the advice industry could easily go a similar path where advice firms are now looking at how they need access to data scientists and business engineers and behavioral specialists to be able to not just use technology in a very sort of productive way but use it in a way which can really drive a different sort of a different advice model entirely and i think that's what really excites me is is how those aspects are going to start to play a much more important role in the proposition um, than perhaps they have done in the past daniel what do you think yeah, um, just to kind of follow up on the back of, of one of Russell's last points there, I think this is a perfect time for the different advice model. 
uh, which, which, which Russell mentions there. And uh, how, how does technology do that? Uh, because clients are now starting to help themselves. If you look at uh, what clients do, in, in, in any case, if we look outside of the financial advice market, we look at what this lockdown has really exasperated at the moment is technology for clients to help themselves, uh, be it from ordering the shopping through to looking after themselves. You know, none of this is new. But it's to still to some of this in the industry, it, it, it can feel new. But one of the things we, we, we certainly see in our own research and our stats is that during lockdown, it's been really interesting. Clients have logged in more when the markets have been up and logged in less when the markets have been down, uh, which is probably quite contrary to what we normally believe. You normally think everyone's looking for the bad news and they're going to log in and check the valuations then. Um, but all of a sudden, more clients are coming to the advisor versus where it's been in the past where the advisor has to go to the client and say, time for the three-month review or the six-month review or the 12-month review or, or what have you. Um, so what does that mean? I think that, that starts to take all of the components which Russell was talking about there, about how you can really use big data to personalize your service further, how you can get better insights about your clients, but how you can start to tailor the communication which you as a firm send out to your clients. So, you know, some clients might like videos so that, you know, you start to do a weekly, you know, video of, of, of the markets, for instance, whereas some clients may still prefer the written word. Getting all your clients in that integration, the one database, again, starts to create the flags to say, this person likes this, this person likes that, here's what they tend to click on. Um, all of this can then support the different advice model because I think for the first time in a long time, if the advisor firm wants to, I think they can be bigger than ever before um, because technology deployed correctly allows an advisor firm to scale up massively um, because that administrative burden is lessened. Um, but it has to be deployed right. Um, I also think advisors have to want it. I think you've got to be ambitious for it here. Mm. I mean, just just so just to follow up on that, I think yeah, you touched on a really a really important point there, Daniel. Is and something we can't ignore is technology in in a proposition is great, but it has to be in 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 hands that are able to to use it to its fullest potential. So, yeah. you know, it's important that that advice businesses start to to put in place programs that can enable their advisors and their planners and their support staff to to use the technology to deliver ultimately the client experience that they're looking to you know yeah. and, and we see this a lot and as things evolve i'm sure there's going to be many people in in the industry who will thrive from the you know the, the, the additional tools that are going to be made available to them but you know inevitably some will some will struggle to adapt yeah. you know but by putting those programs in place you can quickly bring you know the, the the people inside the organizations along for the journey and equip them to to deliver against those those kind of key goals for sure and i think uh, you know a point you were saying there clients are going to expect this and want this and i think the challenge for advisor firms is going to be if you don't offer it somebody else will as well and you just look at some of the, the figures from earlier this year. Hargreaves, for instance, got a boom in terms of D2C, which is, again, kind of, you know, not like, you know, people wouldn't necessarily expect that when markets are down and, and confidence is bouncing around. Um, more D2C money than ever before floods in. Um, and I think that, rather than it being a, a, a challenge to the advisor community, is a great opportunity because it shows that the advisors want technology. They want some ability to help themselves, but 
in a perfect world, in, in what we'd almost call a hybrid advice world, it's where you have the advisor always in the background looking after you, but you as the client can help yourself until you can't. Then you go to your advisor from there. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you very much, Russell, uh, for taking part. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, lots of food for thought. And tune in again next time for the next episode. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.